Welcome back, listeners, to If I Only Knew. I'm here with co-host extraordinaire Matt. How are you, mate? Hello, Fred. I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's good to be back. I hear we're talking about video games, which I'm uh, very excited to look mate, into. We're talking about a very specific issue that I have to acknowledge I do not understand. Hmm. Um, there is a debate at the moment about the idea that video games are a gateway to a serious gambling problem. Uh, I, as you know, am a therapist that has a psychologist that's always worked with people with addictive personalities. It's part of the work that I do. And I must admit, I, I'm, I'm relying on you to help me out here because there's this concept in games called loot crates. Yeah. Okay. And people have likened loot crates to a form of um, gambling. So there's a, a pay to win component and then there's a, a, a component of chance. Now, when I was a kid playing games, you, you hit uh, a, a question mark with Mario on a gold coin or a mushroom had come out. Was I being primed? Was that the first precursor to uh, to a gateway to gambling or a loot crates in games now? And if you're a parent of my age and you've got teenage kids and and you want to understand this issue, what is a loot crate? And and Matt, just give us the rundown. Is it a is it a gateway drug to uh, you know? losing your house at the casino. It's fantastic, Fred. I have really strong opinions about this. I actually um, did basically a whole uni subject on consumption and I wrote a, a big essay on the consumption of chance in video games and I based this around loot boxes. Is this gambling? Is it merely a, a form of chance? Like, how does that work? What's the difference? Um, I think fundamentally it triggers the same effect as gambling in people. So let's start from the start. What are loot boxes? You talked about playing Mario, hitting a, hitting a box and getting either a coin or a power-up. Um, that's pretty standard gameplay loop for many games, right? You you do something, you get reward, action reward. That's how games work. But the outcome of your Mario game is predetermined. If you hit that same block, every time you restart that level, you're getting the same coin, you're getting the same power-up. Um, and that's really important because it's you don't keep rolling. The goal isn't to keep hitting that same block. The goal is to progress. The goal is to move on, right? Um, loot boxes have moved hand-in-hand hand with um, the... Uh, surge of microtransactions in video games, right? This is an effort to create a new monetization model in video games so that they can be more profitable instead of having a linear progression system in games where you play the game and you earn progression. Uh, microtransactions offer a shortcut where you buy loot boxes and they give you a percentage chance to roll uh, a desirable item that you want to get to help your progression, right? So I'm framing games as a process of progression and that loot boxes are a shortcut to achieving that progression through chance. Um, now, is it gambling? Well, this is a big, big question. Um, technically, in a legal sense, gambling requires the ability to pay money for the chance of receiving real world currency, right? It requires you to be able to take that money out of the video game once you've won something through the slot machine. Um, and this is how a lot of online gambling gets away with being pretty unregulated, which is something we should be cautious about. It says that, well, if you can't take real money out, then people can't get addicted because it's not the same as, as going to a casino and risking money for money. I think this fundamentally misunderstands the way people value their time and value games. Um, people play games for the sake of that progression. Um, you don't roll 50 loot boxes to make a profit because you think you're going to make money. You roll it to get the item in 
the video game. Now, for people that don't play games, I can appreciate that it might be hard to understand how it could be comparable to roll a rare item as to winning a jackpot in a casino, right? That seems um, wrong. Nonetheless, this is the reward mechanism in the brain. People want to progress in video games. The progression is locked behind 50 loot boxes. You buy 50 loot boxes. Each one has a set of bells and whistles that triggers you know, a, a dopamine receptor in the brain. You get a small bonus each time, um, but you finally hit your, hit your progress goal. And that is uh, the same reward as getting money. People go to the casino for the goal of getting a big payout. People buy loot boxes for the goal of reaching that rare item. To me, that's a perfectly comparable reward mechanism. And to me, that's why I think there's a strong comparison between casino gambling and loot boxes in games. Even if legally they're not the same thing because we, we've drawn an arbitrary distinction between the ability to cash out versus not, I think in some sense, like mentally, internally, the winner of the loot box is cashing out, right? What's well, interesting because the, the parallel that you there is the cognitive payoff of chance and reward, which for anybody that knows um, or has uh, had a peer that's got an issue with gambling, um, the process is the part. Nobody would become a gambling addict if when you had a big win, you stopped. Yeah. Okay. What you're conditioned to do with gambling is to play. Uh, and they often refer to gambling as a disease of loneliness because you get caught up in the process to the extent where winning and losing for a very serious gambler is actually winning is only seen as a way of facilitating more gambling. Okay, yeah. it's not a way of cashing out or hitting big, which is why some of us gamble. And, you know, um, if you win your money back, you walk away and go, I had a good time. Yeah. Uh, and loot boxes are specifically designed to make that process satisfying the the amount of sparkly lights the quality of graphics put into opening a loot box in a video game the um the drip feed of reward where you might be guaranteed like a classic way uh to do loot boxes is you're guaranteed a moderately rare item for each loot box but you have to roll maybe on average 50 to get a very rare item they're designed that you get just enough of that to keep you coming back i would say Psychologically, we call that intermittent reinforcement. So I want to ask you a question, Matt, because I think the crux of the issue is um, people fear what they don't know. So there'd be parents right now, you know, beating up PlayStation 5 <laughs> uh, to protect their kids, and we're not suggesting that. What I'm interested in understanding is what might you say to a consumer of video games about games that were heavily reliant on play to win or loot boxes. Hmm. And I want to just preface this by saying, if I could have spent three bucks in a game to teleport to the end of the stage and fight Bowser, I would have done it. Fortunately, Mario meant that you had to get the timing and the skill right, and it's the most maddening game in the world. So I actually think these shortcuts, and a nine-year-old Fred may have asked for the company credit card to get to the Bowser level just to see what it was like. So on some level... As much as we might all say this is madness and insanity and these kids spend too much time on video games, there is no doubt this competitive, compelling, you know, drive to want to get to the end, you, you know, and obviously that's why these things work. But what would you say to a young person? I mean, younger than you, I would say a 14, 15 year old, you know, playing a game now that was heavily um, uh, not dominated, but had loot boxes as a feature. 
Yeah, look, I think this is really important. Um, I'm of the opinion that games where progress is locked behind chance are crap games, right? So I think my first my first advice is if your loot boxes are more than cosmetic, if you have to get the win from the loot box to progress your game, find a different bloody game. Um, that's not a good video game. It's not well designed. It's not um, helping you uh, grow yourself. It's not letting you progress. Now, obviously, that advice might not be um, you know, practicable if your friends are all on it, um, in which case um, I think the goal should be to enjoy the game, play loop itself, right? Actually like playing the game with the goal of being able to play it without paying much money. Um, because I think the moment you pull out that credit card, the moment you buy a couple of um, loot boxes to speed up your progress, what I've found personally is it becomes dramatically easier to buy a few more. Because once you start, you realize you can speed up your progress and you realize that it feels good to get that rush of opening the extra loot boxes. Um, and so I would encourage people to be really self-aware when they do choose to um, you know, buy those microtransactions um, and realize that by doing so, they're kind of leaning into the pattern or the um, process that the developers want you to lean into so that they can extract more money out of you. Um, now, that's primarily important if your game has progress locked behind loot boxes in its, if like fundamentally. I think that's a terrible design decision. I encourage you to play a different game if that's the case. Plenty of games, especially online games, have a strong cosmetic element to the loot boxes that they introduce, right? And I think this is the way to go about microtransactions as a monetization model, right? You have a, a perfectly playable multiplayer game that works without loot boxes. And if people want to um, try their luck at a couple of cosmetics that they want to want to make use of, maybe show off to their friends, then you can also get loot boxes. Um, in this case, I would encourage people to just be very conscious of the trade-offs they're making, right? Don't set your goal on getting a specific cosmetic, on getting a specific item, um, because the dramatic difference between buying loot boxes and traditional gaming uh, monetization models is you don't get to pick the item you want off a menu. In the past, if you wanted to buy a cosmetic item that cost three bucks, four bucks, five bucks, that's fine, right? Go for it. You know what you're getting. The danger of the loot box is that it is open to never getting the item you want. So I would really encourage young people especially to not get sucked into be it marketing, maybe it's community hype over a certain item and recognize that getting the specific item you want is going to be bloody difficult. Um, and it's probably not worth it because you're setting yourself up for disappointment. The rush you get when you open that loot box and get the item you want, great. The disappointment you get when you've opened 40 and you sunk cost fallacy yourself into thinking, oh, I'll just buy 10 more. I'm bound to get it. That's really problematic patterns of behavior. And I'd encourage people to uh, avoid setting their sights on achieving that specific goal. One question for you as a gamer, Matt, before we finish up. The government has talked about regulating loot boxes in games and excluding games from consumption or putting warning labels on games um, so that people understand that it is a form of, it's a business model, yeah, marketing model. Would you support that? I absolutely think that it is necessary to regulate loot boxes to some degree or another. 
I've been certainly convinced they are a parallel to gambling. They are not the same, but they're very similar. I would be distraught by the idea of a bunch of uninformed old politicians trying to regulate the gaming space without a real sense of what it means and how it impacts people. Um, I also think to some extent there's a level of liberalism that needs to come in here. Like gambling is a difficult conversation to have and regulation of gambling is a difficult conversation to have. Um, I don't know where I stand fully on it. What I would like to see as a minimum is much stronger regulation around locking gameplay progress behind loot boxes. For me, that's a really insidious part, especially if you buy a game for money you you pay 60 bucks for a game you play for you play for 20 hours you're invested you're committed you're you're really enjoying this game and you suddenly find out you have to roll 15 loot boxes to have the chance to progress further i think that is explicitly predatory because it's designed to get you in and then keep you there i'm a lot less worried about people's individual decisions to seek cosmetic upgrades, to seek clout online by the items they might have. Um, that's something that maybe we need more education about, more transparency about, but I don't think that needs to be regulated in the same way as progress. I think, Matt, that that is a fantastic discussion about something that I must admit before this, I, I genuinely did not understand. And you leave, you leave me with the understanding that, look, there's a difference between a good game and a game that is a good earner for the game developer. Absolutely. And this is a huge problem in gaming at the moment that I'm quite passionate about. Good game design should be rewarded because I believe good games make people better. Like there is value in playing good games. Gaming doesn't have the best, uh, you know, attitude in our wider society sometimes. And I think the games you play can determine the value you get out of your gaming experience. So there's the there's the takeaway for parents. I'd encourage any parent that's got a kid that's gaming to play the game. Great idea. You're allowed to be crap at it and it'll probably give your kid a really, really good laugh. Um, and then you can see what's going on in the global chat of the game and the, the nasty names that they call each other and the profanity that they use by using, you know, symbols instead of uh, letters. But the reality is there are some very good, challenging, ethical games available on the market at any given time. And I don't know if they'll ever regulate, but I do know that you can uh, Google predatory games you can look at those games that are designed to actually suck people in. Um, and it might be a conversation of how about we play a game that's based on some skill together um, and in the end or in the event that you want to play that other game, we might set a budget on it, you know? Yep. Five chores around the house for $5. If $5 isn't enough, then um, how many games could we buy from JB Hi-Fi or download from the Nintendo store for the same amount of money? Uh, so I always think one of the things to do rather than, you know, burn the internet or, or smash the PlayStation is to give choice and control and to look at the economic value. If you can buy a game outright rather than have the God sword that kills the kid down the road that you've got to spend 30 bucks on, you know, realistically, even young kids understand the idea of cost-benefit analysis. Matt, thank you for your time. I think we've had a great conversation today. It's a small episode, but it's an episode where I think it is completely lost on a generation of people, this concept of 
modern gaming as a business model mm. rather than a game for game's sake. Because when I was a kid, the, the success of a game was based on how good it was. Yeah. No ever give me the hours back that I spent on um, Mario. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. To the extent now, Matt, I've been to the movie and I continue to play Mario Kart with my daughter and I'm happy for the experience because I'm not putting my hand in my pocket every time I turn on the console. So perfect. Mate, thank you for your time. Please tune in, like and subscribe, and we'll see you next week on If I Only Knew. See you, Matt. See you, guys. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production, with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 131114. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes, and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts of theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Better Pod Group Productions and tuning to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.